0: Well, amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, let's go to the book of Ephesians, chapter number four, please. The fourth chapter in the book of Ephesians is where we'll find our text tonight. And um, I wanted to, as we're getting started, and as you're just turning uh, there in your Bibles to the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, I wanted to mention uh, that tonight is the last service uh, that Brother James and Amber and their family will be with us for several months. Uh, This coming Tuesday, they're hopping on an airplane and they are going to be traveling across the Atlantic Ocean, and they will be filling in for Brother Jim and Miss Laura, who are also with us tonight in the evening service. James's parents, of course, are missionary out of our church uh, to Budapest, Hungary. And not only do they have uh, the Hungarians that they're working with there in Budapest, but they're also uh, working diligently among uh, refugees, really from all over what uh, is obviously uh, Ukraine and and even some other countries in which uh, folks have uh, fled. Uh, for uh, some relief. And uh, of course, uh, James um, and Amber have spent some time there in Hungary already, and they're well-versed in that ministry, still praying on the Lord's uh, clear direction and leading uh, for uh, what their next path and what their next step is. But uh, while they're waiting, it just seemed to make sense uh, to them that that they spend this time there in Hungary. And I know that means a lot to Brother Jim and his wife uh, to have James and Amber there uh, looking after the uh, the ministry on their behalf while they're here for just a couple of months and reporting back to some churches and then obviously spending some time uh, with uh, children and uh, grandchildren. And we'll hear from Brother Jim at the end of the service. He'll dismiss us in prayer as we come to the conclusion of the service tonight. Well, we're in Ephesians chapter number four, and um, we began a, a series last week. Of course, we are uh, heading for a revival meeting on that begins on Sunday, October the 1st, and so it has been my habit since I've been your pastor to do what we can to try to prepare our church ahead of time uh, for a meeting like this, and uh, we feel like one of the best ways that we can maybe do that is just emphasizing it in our preaching, and so we'll continue uh, that series tonight. And uh, last, last week, we gave uh, some ingredients uh, for revival, and tonight I want us to focus on the provisions that God has given, or maybe we might say the tools that God has given us for revival. I want you to look with me, if you would, in verse number 7. The apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he said, But unto every one of us is given grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended... What is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Now notice verse number 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let me ask you this question as we get started tonight. Doesn't verse 12 and 13 and really even beyond that, doesn't that sound a whole lot like revival to you? I mean, think about that. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints. He, he's given us these provisions. For what reason? Well, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so uh, we're going to look tonight in verses seven through 11. I want us to really to focus tonight on these provisions that God has given to us for revival. And as we've already stated, of course, we are preparing for this particular meeting. And as we stated this last week, we do not want this to be just another event on our calendar. We're all busy enough, aren't we, uh, as to uh, as to not just throw things on the calendar just to fill time. You've got plenty to do. I've got plenty to do. Uh, we don't need just another meeting for the sake of another meeting. No, we uh, we 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 long for the Spirit of God to do something in our hearts and in our lives. As a result of this meeting, and I'm saying, to, I'm saying, you know, wouldn't it be so wonderful if we were already living in revival, if we were already experiencing revival when the evangelist came, and he didn't have to, he didn't have to kick us in the pants, so to speak, he didn't have to. Step all over our toes. He didn't have to walk all over us. No, we were already there, and he showed up, and God used him just to continue to fan that flame, just to continue to stir us in that particular way. Uh, We gave a definition last week to revival. I want to give it again tonight. Revival is a return. It is a recall. It is a recovery to life from from death or apparent death. Revival is renewed and more active attention to religion. It is an awakening of men to their spiritual concerns. Now I want to highlight something about this particular definition. And that is this, listen, the words return, recall, recovery, renewed, active attention, and awakening. All of those words convey action. They do. They are action words. Uh, There is an emphasis behind each and every one of them. And here's, here's what I want you to know. You and I And at our church, we will not automatically live in revival. It doesn't just happen. You don't just wake up one day and, wow, I'm in a state of revival. I'm in a spirit of revival. No, no, there is is an element in which that doesn't just happen. Just like you do not automatically grow in in the spiritual sense, you do not automatically grow in the intellectual sense. In other, in other words, to get, to get growth intellectually, what do you have to do? You've got to read, you've got to study, you've got to sit in a classroom, you've got to hear someone teach, and you've got to research, and you've got to work at it, is what I'm saying. Uh, you will not automatically grow relationally. You know, I look around the room tonight, and I see lots of married couples, husbands and wives, and we understand that some of you have been married for a long time, but it hasn't always been this way. There was a time in which you didn't know one another. There was a time in which you met. And there was a time in which there was a development of that relationship. And I, and I dare say it required some action on your part. There was some work that was done. Perhaps maybe there were some letters that were written. Maybe there were some gifts that were bought. And there were, there were times that were spent together in which we're developing this relationship. You will not automatically grow financially. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? If you woke up tomorrow and you checked your online bank account and lo and behold overnight you had deposited into your bank a million dollars, wouldn't that be glorious? But that's never going to happen. It just doesn't happen. Your bank account doesn't automatically grow. No, it grows as we work at it and as we save and as we are diligent in that particular area. I want you to know something, that just as these other areas of our lives do not just automatically grow, we have to work at it. We've got to give some attention to it. There is action that goes into that. The same thing is true in the realm of the spiritual. If you're going to have revival, church family, if we're going to have revival, there is going to have to be some work that is done on our part. It doesn't just happen. We have to give attention to it. We have to want it. We have to long for it. We have to ask God for it. And we have to be right with him and get things out of our lives that ought not to be there. I just want you to know something. Without active, intentional, aggressive focus being given to your spiritual life, you and I cannot possibly have revival. Now, some of you that week, you've already marked it on your calendar and you just determined, you know, I'm gonna be there every night. And some of you, you're sitting here tonight and, and, you're, and you're saying, in some respects, you're saying to the preacher and maybe even to your church, convince me why I ought to come. You know, give me, give me a reason to come. And I'm just simply saying the reason to come is because without it, without it, we are not where God would want us to be. We are not where God would have us to be. No, we must give attention to this area. Now, I believe in our text, we find one of the great chapters in the Bible on how a church can have revival. As we stated last week, listen, there will be no revival apart from humility. Remember we said in verse number two, he says, listen, he says, you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. That's revival. How do you do that? With all lowliness and meekness. It begins right there. It begins with humility. And then, if we're going to have revival, we must have forgiveness. The Bible says, not only with all lowliness and meekness, but with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Remember, we said last week, listen, there's some, there might just be some things in our lives. We're going to have revival. There might be some things in our lives we just have to let go of. Just have to let go of them. We're going to have to be long suffering. We're going to have to forbear with one another. That means, that literally means to let go of. If you and I are going to have revival, we're going to have to let go of some things. We're going to have to have some forgiveness in our lives. And then if we're going to have revival, we must have unity. Some of you heard that message, and maybe you've done some hard work in your life over the past week. Perhaps that work was you dealing with pride and selfishness and arrogance. Or maybe, maybe it was going to someone who hurt or offended you in some way to seek reconciliation. Or perhaps going to them in which you caused the offense and saying, listen, I'm pretty sure that there's a distance between us and it's a result of something that I did. Maybe it was a long time ago or maybe it was recent, but I don't want this to be between us anymore. I value revival. I want God to work in my heart and my life and I want God to work in our church. Some simply, again, just needed to let go of some things that have been carrying that really aren't that big of a deal. It will be impossible for us to have unity We can't have it while tolerating sinful pride in our lives. It would be impossible for us to have unity while holding on to offenses and grudges and not giving those things up and not being reconciled with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We, We cannot have revival while harboring bitterness over some hurt or some offense. We cannot have revival without humility, forgiveness, and unity. These are essential ingredients for revival. But I believe that in our text tonight, verses 7 to 11, I believe the Holy Spirit of God reveals some additional thoughts on revival. And I want us to consider them. I believe we're given in this next section of this particular chapter some tools, some provisions for revival. In other words, you and I, we can have revival once we've gotten our heart right, And then as we utilize the tools that God gives us in this section, there's three of them and I want you to notice them. Number one, I discover in our text, the provision of grace. The provision of grace to exercise our spiritual gifts, I believe is a tool that God uses for revival. Now look what he says in verse number seven. He says, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, grace is the favor of God. Now, how much grace do you have available to you tonight? You have all the grace you'll ever need. God's grace is sufficient. And as we sang a moment ago, his grace, I hope it still amazes you when you think about it. What a blessing. We have been given God's amazing grace You have as much grace available to you as you're ever going to need. Now, we understand this to be true, and it is in the realm of salvation so true. But I also want you to consider the phrase that is given to us here in this verse, after the word grace. And I believe that as we understand this phrase, it will help us get a better idea of the context regarding what the apostle is talking about. Notice the phrase reads, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. When the word grace appears in the Greek language, the word is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. Very similar to where we would get the word charity, all right? And that word appears in the New Testament 156 times. It appears a lot. And of those 156 times, at least, maybe even more, depending on what you believe about who wrote the book of Hebrews, but at least 110 of those occurrences are found in Paul's epistles. So it really is, it's really one of Paul's favorite words as he is is writing, of course, under inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And the word speaks of God's free and his undeserved favor. Now, when you got saved, God gave you eternal life, and we rejoice in that. God gave you forgiveness of sins. And we rejoice in that. We are reconciled to God. But I want you to understand something. You didn't just get eternal life. You didn't just get forgiveness of sins when you got saved. You got something else. You got a spiritual gift when you got saved. According according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, we don't have time to delve into into this this at this point in time. But the gifts are given to us in Romans chapter number 12. I think maybe the verse is is going to be on the screen here. Having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Next verse. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with Cheerfulness. So, so, so there they are. I think there's eight of them, seven or eight spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit of God gives, blesses an individual with upon their new birth. Now we refer to these gifts as serving gifts, and they are exactly that. The gifts are prophecy. I believe that's a reference to preaching, the gift of ministry, the gift of teaching, the gift of exhorting, giving, ruling and showing mercy. Those are the the seven gifts as I count them off here in my my mind tonight. Now, is it possible? Is it possible that we lack revival because of our failure to discern what our spiritual gifts are? Leading, listen, leading to a lack of using our spiritual gifts in the local church. Is that possible? I, I believe it might be. In other words, is it possible that the church is not all that she could be? The church is not making the impact that she could make in the community and in the world. We've got a world to win to Christ. We've been given the Great Commission. And the last time I checked, we're further behind in that than we've ever been. Is it possible? that we haven't gotten the job done, is it possible that the church is somewhat lukewarm and it's somewhat lethargic and it's somewhat complacent and it's somewhat disinterested in spiritual things because there's a whole lot of people in the local church who have no idea what spiritual gift they have. And if and if they, if they they even have an idea, perhaps maybe they know what it is, but you know what, they've just determined, you know, I'm too old to use that gift. I'm just gonna sit on the sidelines. I'm gonna wait until the Lord calls me home. Or perhaps, maybe they're just saying, I'm not too old, I know what my spiritual gift is, but I just don't feel like using it. Because that requires work, and that requires effort. And is it possible that the Cleveland Baptist Church, or other churches, just like our church, are not experiencing a move of God, a stirring of God in our hearts and our lives, because we're ignorant concerning spiritual gifts? And the grace that is given to us to exercise those spiritual gifts in the local church. Is it possible that we lack revival because of our misuse of our spiritual gifts in the local church? Many, many fail to see that any gifts that they have been given have been given by God. They come to them because of His free and His undeserved favor in their lives. You don't, you don't deserve the spiritual gift you have. No, that comes, that comes because God loves you. And God has bestowed his loving kindness and his favor upon your life. Now gifts, listen, gifts that are misused. I, what I want to say is gifts without grace, gifts used without grace, tend to produce in hearts and lives pride and arrogance. In other words, when, when, I'm, when I'm exercising my spiritual gift, but I'm not doing it in, in, in the sense that this comes from God and I want to use it to serve God and to please God. No, it leads to pride and arrogance. Here's, here's the mindset that someone has when they're exercising their gift without God's grace. The mindset is this, everybody look at me. Look what I can do. Nobody in this church can teach a lesson like me. Nobody in this church can give like I give. Nobody in this church can show mercy like I can show mercy. Hey, no one has the gift of prophecy like I have the gift of prophecy. Listen, that is exercising your gift without God's grace. It is, a, it, is a, it is an offense to Almighty God who gave you that gift to begin with. Oh, may God help us. May God stir in our hearts to beg God, Lord, please show me what my spiritual gift is. And God, if you'll show me what my spiritual gift is, I'll give the rest of my life to utilizing that as an attitude of thanksgiving that you've given me something so precious. Gifts without grace. They tend to produce pride and arrogance. But you know that's not the only thing that they if they do, gifts without grace also can produce division in the church. Here's that mindset. That mindset is this. You can't do what I can do. Look what I've got. You can't do that. Look how I've been gifted. Look what I've been given. Gifts without grace produce division in that someone might sit back and they might sort of look at someone else is. they're utilizing that gift and they're saying, well, I wish I could do this or do that. I'm just simply saying, listen, in the realm of spiritual gifts, God gives the provision of grace. Paul in our text, he goes on to reveal how great our savior is. Who is the giver of these gifts? I mean, that's really what the next few verses are about. They're sometimes misunderstood by us. But he says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto me. say, what does that mean? What's that all about? You know what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, listen, that Jesus Christ, he gives the gifts and the grace that we need. All of that is proven by the fact that he rules and reigns over all. How do, we, how, how do we know his grace is sufficient? How do we know we have everything that we could possibly need in order to get the job done? We know that because he, is, uh, because he proved it by ascending up on high and by leading captivity captive. Listen to what. Listen to what one commentator says. says, Captivity is here put for captives and signifies all our spiritual enemies who brought us into captivity before. He conquered those who had conquered us, such as sin, the devil, and death. Indeed, he triumphed over these on the cross, but the triumph was completed at his ascension when he became Lord over all and was given the keys of death and Hades that were put into his hands. I'm so thankful. The ascension, listen, the ascension was not just some act to get him back to heaven. No, the ascension was God saying, he is Lord over all. He is in control of all. Everything is under his feet. What is your greatest enemy tonight? Devil, world, your own flesh. Understand this, listen, Jesus is in control of it all. Jesus rules over it all. How do you know you have grace to do what God has called you to do? How do you know you have grace to exercise your spiritual gifts? Because our Savior promised us he would give it to us. According to the measure of the gift of Christ, his ascension and his conquering makes him king and ruler over all and allows him to give whatever he wishes to whomsoever he decides. We're recipients of God's grace tonight, as much grace as we're ever going to need. This grace, listen, and this grace properly understood, it does not produce pride and arrogance in our lives. No, quite the contrary, it produces humility. When we understand, I don't deserve this, man. I don't. I don't belong here. Uh, I, I don't. I don't deserve. I. This is the. This is the privilege and honor of a lifetime, but it's undeserving for me to be able to stand in front of you, for me to be able to open this book and preach God's word week after week, what a privilege, what an honor, but I don't deserve it. I know I don't deserve it. I'm only here, listen, I'm only here because of God's grace. And whatever it is you do to serve the Lord, exercising your spiritual gift, understand this, you don't belong there. You don't deserve to be there. You're there because God has given you grace. Do you understand that if we would all adopt that mindset, listen, we'd have revival tonight. We'd have it tonight. We understood If we understood who Jesus is and what he did for us and the grace that is available to us and how he's conquered all of our enemies, all of that is under his feet, all of that is under his control, and we understood who we were and who he is and what he's done for us, we would have revival tonight. We could have it. How has God gifted you? Some might not have any idea what their spiritual gift is. For some of you, you're a new believer, and that's fine. You're just coming into all of this, and this is maybe the very first time you've ever heard of anything like this. But some of you perhaps have been around for a while. You've been at this thing for a while. You don't even know where the spiritual gifts are found. And if you were to find them, you won't even be sure which one is yours. That's a problem. That's a problem, isn't it? May God help us to understand that he has given us grace to exercise our spiritual gifts in the local church. But notice, secondly, we discover not only the provision of grace to exercise our spiritual gifts, but notice, secondly, the provision of God's word. Talking about provisions for revival, God gives us the provision of grace to exercise our spiritual gifts. But number two, we discover the provision of God's word. Would you look with me in verse number 11? And he gave. So again, notice verse number seven, but unto every one of us is given. So there's the, those words, giving and gave. It speaks of provisions, tools, gifts, as it were. And, 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 and he gave, verse number 11, some apostles and some prophets. Now I want to pause there for a moment because I, I think that there's a delineation here. I think that there's a there's a difference that's being made here. And I think the third point is going to focus on the final part of that verse. So we're going to cut it off here for right now. We're going to look at the gift, number two, the gift, the provision of God's word. The provision of God's word. You say, where do you get God's word by those titles, apostles and prophets? Well, anytime you see a reference in the Bible to prophets or apostles, you should take notice of this as really a mention of the scriptures or of God's word. In other words, those, those two offices in the Bible are, are really are really mouthpieces for God to get his message to man. And, 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 and as far as far as we know, the scriptures were written by either prophets or by apostles. That, that's who the Bible was was primarily written by. And so when we see that, and he gave some apostles and some prophets, we need to understand this. As, this, is a, this is a picture or this is a, a, a word that is. Defining God's word to us now, the prophets point us to what part of the Bible? What part of the Bible the prophets point us to? Talk to me tonight. Old Testament, all right. The prophets point us to the Old Testament, and the apostles point point us to what? Very good. This is this is great. You're a great class, all right. So when you see the word prophets, he's talking about the Old Testament. When you see the word apostles, he's talking about the New Testament. So so there are no there's no apostles in the Old Testament. They don't exist. And there's really no prophets in the New Testament. They don't exist either. So, so we're, we're looking at, he gave, listen, here's what he gave. And he gave some New Testament and some Old Testament. In other words, he gave us his word. And that, that book, listen, that book, as we're going to see in verses 12 and 13, you know what that book does? If you'll, if you'll live by it, if you'll read it and you'll study it, That book will allow you to experience revival in your life. Because When I read that book, and when I get a hold of God's grace to exercise my spiritual gifts, you know what what I have? I'll have revival. I'll be alive to spiritual things. I'll give renewed focus and attention to my spiritual spiritual life. So let's think. who Who are the prophets? Moses was a prophet in the Old Testament. Isaiah was a prophet. Jeremiah was a prophet, Ezekiel, Daniel, and a host of others. Those were prophets in the Old Testament. The word prophet, it means foreteller, or it means inspired speaker. And so the prophets in the Old Testament they foretold of the consequences that would befall Israel for disobedience to God's law. They foretold of the coming Messiah. They've, e- they've even foretold in the Old Testament of things that have yet to happen in our world today. There are prophecies in the Old Testament Concerning things that are still in the future, that's how far in advance God gave them uh, His His wisdom and His understanding of what's to happen. Is what, listen, we're talking thousands of years removed. There are still events that have not unfolded yet that are written about in the in the prophets. In the New Testament we have apostles so the word apostle it means delegate or ambassador of the gospel God gave certain men the calling of prophet or apostle for the purpose of representing him to mankind and through and through their ministry men could be given an opportunity to draw close to the Lord you know what that's called that's called revival It's called revival God God chose men, he chose men to be ambassadors of the gospel. He chose men to be his delegates. And he said, listen, through you, I'm going to, through, through you, I'm going to give my spirit. allow my spirit to give my word. And if people will listen to what I have to say, then they can get closer to me. They can know who I am. That's called revival. Now listen, it is important to note that this book that you hold in your hand Listen, this is not the writings of mere men. It's not. It's not. The Bible is clear throughout that it is God's holy word. Now, I want us to, it's sort of elementary now, but I want us to to see it. Go to 2 Timothy chapter three. 2 Timothy chapter number three. Now, here in this church, listen, we believe, we believe in something known as verbal plenary inspiration. See, that's that's a really fancy term. What? classroom did you pick that up in? No, we didn't pick that up in any classroom. It comes right out of this book. Now, listen to what the Bible says in verse number 16. All, all, that's that's plenary. And the word plenary means, it means full or every. So all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So we believe in verbal plenary inspiration so we we believe this that listen every single word in this book is god's word every single word that there are no mistakes in this book that this book is infallible this book is perfect this book is not a book that you and i sit in judgment over several years ago i got a brand new book i was excited to read it came to me i I knew the author I opened the book, and on the very first page, there was a typo. I was crushed. I was crushed. Here's why I was crushed. I'm thinking to myself, listen, I expect a typo around about 95, 100, 105 pages in, but I don't expect a typo on the first page. Man, come on, don't, don't you have somebody that can... Now, listen, I know people make mistakes, but I just want you to know something. There's no mistakes in this book. There's no, there's no mistakes in this book. This book is perfect. Because this book is divine. Now all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. In other words, this book is, is, it's a gift to us to help us in the following ways. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. For instruction in righteousness. Now listen, the words of this book are God-breathed. They are inspired. Every single word. We believe that every word is God-breathed. Because the book is God's word. Listen, it is immensely profitable for the following things. It is a provision, in other words, it's a provision for doctrine that's teaching, for reproof that's convincing a man of his sins and of the claims of the gospel. It is, it is profitable for correction. That is the idea of reformation. And it is profitable for instruction in righteousness. That means what is right or the right way to live. What I'm saying, what, what I'm, I'm not saying this. What God's word is saying is saying this, that this book is profitable for you to have revival. If you'll get into this book, if you'll read it, if you'll study it, if you'll obey it, you can have revival. Listen, you don't need an evangelist to come in and stir you up. You don't need your pastor to preach a series of messages on it. No, no, you can have revival in your own living room of your home as you get into this book and as you study it and as you believe it and as you obey it. Look look what he says at the end. He says in verse number 17, is it up there? That the man of God may be perfect, Truly furnished unto all good works. You know what that is? That's revival. Man, let me, let me just put it to you on the bottom shelf. I'm getting a little excited up here. i got to settle down a little bit. My voice is starting to go. But listen, this book will give you revival. You can have it. See, some of you, you think, you, think, you know, revival's for those in the, you know, back in the great awakening. We can't have that today. Revival's for, you know, revival's for, you know, those people from a long time We can't have that today. Oh, you can have it. You can have it. Because you have, listen, you have every provision that you need for revival. You have God's grace. You have his word. You can have revival. There, there's not there's not listen, look at that verse. There's not a man or woman in this room that can't be perfect. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. In other words, in other words, fully equipped to do what God's called you to do. There's not a man or woman, there's not even a boy or girl in this room who doesn't who, who, can't, who can't live life that way. I'm just saying, listen, we we for far too long we've tolerated life at a at sort of a baseline level spiritually. And I think what God is saying, God is saying, no, there's more for you. And here's how you tap into it: My grace, my word. Listen, you. You cannot have revival without the provision of God's word. Listen, listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 19. I think maybe the, word, the verse is going to be on here as well. Yeah, there it is. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Now, I'll just be, I'll just be frank with you. I'm, I'm a pretty simple guy, pretty simple guy, and yet this book can make me wise. Goes on to say in verse number eight the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. And moreover, listen, moreover, here it is, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. You say, what's the reward? The reward is revival. And the reward is a walk with God that is beautiful. That is what God intended it to be. You have the provision of His Word for revival. John seventeen in verse number seventeen, sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. You're know saying he's saying your Word is revival. That's what He's saying. That's what it is. I mean, it, it makes us come alive. It gives us what we need. Now, thirdly, and finally, tonight. Going back to Ephesians chapter number 4, I want you to consider with me, thirdly, that there's the provision of God's grace to exercise our spiritual gifts. There's the provision of God's word for revival. And then thirdly, listen, there, there's the provision of spiritual leadership. Now, I have to tell you that this, um, th- this can be a little challenging for me to preach because if I'm your pastor tonight, then I'm your spiritual leader. And um and so that sort of puts me in a weird position. But I have to preach the Bible. And look what he says in verse number 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. The final provision God gives for revival, I believe in this passage is spiritual leaders. Now, I don't know why God calls and God gifts those that he does. But it is evident to me that God has chosen, God in His divine wisdom and knowledge has chosen to reach down and to place His hand upon some for the purpose that they might be and function as evangelists and pastors and teachers. And by the way, I believe, I believe that evangelists are not the same as pastors. But here's what I do believe. I believe that pastors and teachers are the same. I believe that. I, I, I don't know. I don't know why God... I don't know why God called me to do this. I told you a moment ago, I don't belong up here. Those of you that know me well, you know I don't belong up here. You know, you know I'm not. I don't have to tell you that. That's nothing new to you. But this is what God has done. Some of you, some of you, you look back and you remember me doing really crazy things, silly things, immature things. And, some, and some, maybe for some of you, that wasn't all that long ago. I, I don't know. But I'm just, tell, I'm just telling you, listen, God calls and God gifts the church with some things that they might have revival. And I believe spiritual leadership is one of those things. The word evangelist, it means a preacher of the gospel. Let's just be frank there are some that God calls and equips to be dynamic orators, or we might say preachers of his word. Their messages are dynamic, they're stirring. And they're very memorable. Some some folks might ask me, "How did did you know that God wanted you to do this?" And this is really simple. This is really simple. When I was in sixth or seventh grade, my we we had what was we had here in in the church in the the summertime. I remember in the summertime we had something known as a Bible conference. We only did this for a couple of years. but we had a Bible conference, and one year, some of you might go back to this, this would be the early 90s, we brought in two preachers, their names were Johnny Pope and R.B. Willett. Does anybody remember that meeting? Does anybody, yeah, some of, okay. You know what that means? That just means you're really old. You're just like me, you're really old, you remember that meeting. <laughs> and I remember sitting right over here where my son is sitting, and my wife and my kids are sitting, and I remember sitting in that, in that meeting. It wasn't a revival, it was a Bible conference, and I remember hearing those two guys preach. And I just gotta tell you, there was something inside of me That just said, I want to do that. You know, some little boys, they sit and they watch the quarterback and on the huddle, Hud, 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 hike, drop. And I wanted to do that too. But I I I just gotta tell you, man, as I sat, and as I I sat in that pew, man, I really wanted to do that. I can remember, I remember shortly thereafter, I remember going home at night, and um, some kids sing themselves to sleep, and you know, maybe they maybe have some music playing. I would lay in my bed and I would pretend I was preaching. I'd sit there and I'd say, No, take your Bibles. who knows, who knows the doctrine that I was teaching to myself back in those days as I laid in that bed. It probably wasn't very spiritual. But I mean, I just had this burning desire to do that. Now, that's an an evangelist, man. That's a guy that shows up. Some of you were here last last year when Brother John Getch was here. You remember that message he preached on the cross of Jesus Christ? You remember that? Memorable. Man, there was... There, there was hardly a dry eye in this place. Man, it was it was quiet in here. You could hear a pin drop as he preached about Jesus' suffering. And and he quoted scripture and he took us, I mean, literally in our mind's eye, he took us right to the cross. I remember I remember being in elementary school, Al Lacey preached here. Some of you remember that name, Al Lacey he preached a message. I'm telling you, I was probably in fourth grade. I still remember it to this day. He preached a message about Abraham being asked to offer Isaac, and he, he just illustrated what that must have been like for Abraham. And I sat there, and I never forgot it. That message has got to be 35 years old or so in my mind, and yet it's right there. I can recall it. Now you say, what, what is that? What is that? That's an evangelist. That is someone, listen, That is someone that God has placed his hand upon them to be able, listen, it doesn't matter where they are, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are, put a Bible in their hand and give them 15 minutes and probably somebody's gonna be wanting to get saved. That's an evangelist. That's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful gift to the church. It is a, listen, it is a provision for revival. Spiritual leadership, evangelists. The Bible The Bible talks about an evangelist. His name is Philip. See, there's some people that don't feel like that's a real office. I I disagree with them. Uh, The Bible calls Philip an evangelist. And the Bible says that that, that Philip tells us in verse number number eight of Acts chapter 21, the next day, uh, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist. So there it is right there. We know for sure that that's what Philip was. That was the office that he was, that he was given. He was an evangelist, which was one of the seven in abode with him. Now, consider, consider through the life of Philip that evangelists do not minister apart from the local church. The Bible says that Philip was a committed member of the church at Jerusalem. In fact, he was such a committed member when it came time to select the seven who would function as deacons, guess who was chosen? Philip was chosen. It's right there, Acts chapter number six. Philip was chosen to be a deacon. The Bible says in verse number five, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, there he is, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. So, so that's who Philip was. He, he's not some guy who's, who's ministering apart from the local church. No, he is tied into the local church so much so that God, that God allows him to be selected as one of the ones who will be a deacon in the local church at Jerusalem. Philip takes his preaching ministry, the Bible says, to Samaria in Acts chapter eight, and revival breaks out in that place. I don't have time to read it, but if you read the first part of Acts chapter eight, you'll find revival happens in Samaria. Why? Because the evangelist showed up. And when the, ev- listen, when the evangelist comes, there's a good chance, there's a better chance than if he doesn't show up, that, that there's gonna be revival. And God's gonna do some things. People are gonna get saved, and people are going to get stirred up. Now, I want us to consider, that's the evangelist. We think of evangelists that we would know from the pages of history, beyond just the Bible. Men like Jonathan Edwards, John and Charles Wesley, George Whitefield, D.L. Moody, Billy Sunday, Billy Graham. Listen, say what you will about these men, and I'm sure, listen, if you put any of these men underneath a microscope, you're gonna find something to find fault with. By the way, you put me under a microscope, you put anyone in this room under a microscope, you're gonna find something to find fault with. So let's not be too hasty to pick these men apart. No, listen, God used these men in a great way, truly. And these men were used by God for this purpose. Now listen, as a local church, we have been blessed by the ministry of evangelists. Now we've not had Billy Sunday here or Billy Graham here, Charles Wesley or D.L. Moody, but we've had some men I believe that God He's placed his hand upon, I'm talking about men like Dave Young, who will be here in a couple of weeks, and Dwight Smith, and Mark Rogers, and John Getch, and others who have labored among us for the cause of revival. And he gave some evangelists, and some, lastly tonight, pastors and teachers. The second spiritual leader is the pastor-teacher. The word pastor comes from the Greek word poimen, and it means a shepherd The word teacher is translated from the Greek word didaskalos, and it means an instructor. It's where we get our word doctrine. While an evangelist comes to the church infrequently and preaches dynamic messages that are long remembered, God calls the pastor to labor faithfully as a shepherd in a particular local church and instruct that church week after week. Listen, I I am am under no pretense at all that my messages are memorable. I, I, I think we could probably all come next Sunday and we'd all forget what, I, including me, we'd forget what I preached the week before. I mean, honestly, and I've done it before. Some of say, man, that was a good message last Sunday night. What was that on again? And I'm sitting here going, you know, I don't remember either, to be honest. <laughs> We're all a mess, right? And yet, and yet here I am and I'm saying, man, 35 years ago, I sat in this very auditorium and Al Lacy preached a message on Abraham and Isaac and I've never forgotten it. That's Okay. We're not in competition. I don't, listen, to be an effective pastor, I don't have to be a great dynamic preacher. To be an effective pastor, listen, I have to love you and I've got to be faithful and I've got to be just, I just got to be here for the long haul. And by the way, way, I just want you to know something. I love what I do. Love it. I love being here. I've got pastor friends, man, they're preaching all over the country and that's fine. God bless them. God uses them. But I just want you to know something. I want to be here. I want to be here. Two weeks from today, to, Sunday morning, I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be at Brother Frank's church for the launch of the Heritage Baptist Church. I'm already dreading it. Not because I don't want to be with him and I don't want to see that church, but I'm dreading it because there's no place I'd rather be than right here. It's where God's called me. These, these, this, is my, this is my family. I, yes, yesterday, my wife and all of my kids went to the youth rally and I stayed home. And I got to tell you, it was glorious for about the first three hours of the day. I mean, it was awesome. I mean, I can do whatever I want. You know, I can eat whatever I want. And I can, you know, go wherever I want, do whatever I want. About the middle of the day, I thought, this stinks. And I started texting my wife, you know, when are you guys coming home, you know? I can, I can track where my kids are. You know, I got the GPS thing on. Where are they? You know, watch them speed up I-71. Get here for crying out loud. Why? Because that's my family. You're my family. I I, I, I want to be here. Pastor, listen. A pastor, a pastor labors among the flock. Listen, I I I I just want to say this. I don't know that you can have revival and disregard your pastor. It is amazing to me how many Christians have, have no local church whatsoever, none. And here's the, here's the line. Why? You know, there's plenty of preachers on YouTube. Name a single one of them that will come visit you in the hospital when you get sick. Name a single one of them that will bring you into their office when you're, when, when you're dealing with marital problems and we will sit down with you and we will try to coach you through that and walk you through that. Name one. Name a single one of them that when your loved one dies, you can call them and they'll pray with you over the phone. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that they're not good people. I'm not saying that they're godly men. I'm just simply saying, listen, they're not your pastor. And I don't know... I don't believe that you can, listen, I don't believe that you can be, that you can be, verse number 12, a perf, the perfecting of the saints, that you can work the ministry, and that you can be edified in the body of Christ. I don't know that you can come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God without a pastor. That's why God gave it to us. So do not, listen, do not, Dis, disregard. Now, some of you are sitting here saying, some of you are sitting here saying, well, you know, I, I'm okay with pastors. I just don't like you. <laughs> listen. Listen. If that's how you feel, I mean this with all sincerity. For the sake of your family, go, go find a pastor you can like. I mean that. Find someone you can respect. If I have done something to offend you, if I've done something to hurt you, and by the way, if you'll bring it to me, I promise you, I promise you, I will repent of it. I promise you. I mean, if it's something that I, that, I, that I did that I should not have done, I will repent of it and I will seek reconciliation with you. But I'm just simply saying, listen, you, you, you need a pastor. Your kids need a pastor. They, they, need, they, need someone, they need someone who can shepherd them through the storms of life. I know I know sometimes we get into this mode that we just kind of do what we do and we just that 's what we do I want you to know something we don 't do this just because this is what we do we do this because God has told us to do this and because in in keeping of these things there is great reward you need a pastor I, I, I ought not to be worshipped I ought not to be venerated i, I don 't need listen i don't need a. don 't need an eight by 10 of me in your living room framed and a kneeling bench in front of me. I don't need that in fact if you're doing that get out of here all right that's weird <laughs> please uh, don't don't tell me that's 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 bizarre right i don't i don't need that that's that's strange that's weird all right but but here's what here's what i do think i should i should be loved by you because i love you and i i believe i should be i should i, I should be respected by you i believe that and I should be, I should be heeded by you. Why? Because of what I have to say? No, I should be heeded by you so long as I am faithfully doing what God has called me to do. Listen, well, so the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for their works' sake. Listen well, to what the Bible says in, in, uh, in, in Hebrews 13, and verse number seven. Remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God. So how do we know, how do we know that these people are, remember them have the rule over you. Okay, that's talking about the president of the United States. Does the president of the United States speak unto you the word of God? <laughs> not, not our president. All right? That's the governor. That's the governor of the state. No, he's not doing that either. I, I think, I think he's, saying, he's saying spiritual leaders, that you're to remember them that have the rule over you. The Bible says, whose faith follow? See, see you're not following me. You're, you're, you, you have to be following the faith that God has given to me and the, and, and, the, and the calling that God has placed upon my life, considering the end of their conversation. Verse number 17, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Again, the president's not watching for your soul. The governor's not watching for your soul. If you live in Brooklyn, brother Ron is not watching for your soul. He's watching for your driveway and your pocketbook and that sort of thing. He's not watching for your soul, okay? Who watches for your soul? Spiritual leader watches for your soul. Remember him, remember him. Now listen, we're living in a world that is seeking revival apart from the ingredients that God has given. There can be no revival without humility, without forgiveness, without unity. And the world is seeking, listen, they're seeking revival without the tools or the provisions that God has given grace to exercise our spiritual gifts. God's word, and spiritual leadership. You cannot have the product found, listen, you cannot have the product found in verses 12 and 13, perfecting saints, work of the ministry, edified body of Christ. You cannot have that without these provisions. In other words, you cannot have revival. You cannot have revival without the provisions that God has given. Now listen, some of you tonight, Say, what do I need to do with this? Some of you tonight need to ask God to help you discern what your spiritual gift is. That's that's the step you need to take. I mean, honestly, you just need to run to this altar and say, Lord, I don't even know, I, I didn't even know there were spiritual gifts, but Lord, there are apparently, and I want to know what mine is because I want to begin to use it. Some of you, you know what your spiritual gift is, but you haven't used it in a while. You need to start using it. You need to repent of that and get right with God. Say, you say, I I feel like God's called me to do this or to do that. I feel like that's the gift, but I don't know that I could do that. Hey, guess what? God's grace is sufficient to help you to do it. He, he, he can help you get it done. Some of, you, some of you, some of you say, what do I do with this? Some of you, you've minimized the word of God in your life and in your home. And by the way, it shows, it shows. What do I need to do? Get in this book every day, read it, study it. Write, write things down as, as God speaks to your heart. And by the way, he will speak to your heart. Have a pen and a piece of paper handy and write things down and allow God to work and to stir in your heart through his book. Live this book. Read it, study it, know it, memorize it. Listen, it, it's possible even that some, some of you, you haven't had a revival in a long time, and here's why, because you've minimized the role of spiritual leadership in your life. And it's not that you don't come, you come. But you, you sit out there, and you're like, I, I know him too well. I know him too well. I'm not going to listen to anything he has to say. And, and it's possible that I have hurt you and I have offended you in some way. And that's keeping you. That's keeping you from having revival. I just want you to know that God has given some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the product. It's found in verses 12 and 13. As far as I can tell, you don't get the product unless you do it God's way. And may God help us. To not just have revival, but to have a revival in our hearts and our lives towards his grace that helps us to exercise our spiritual gifts. A revival of love toward God's word. And then finally, listen, a revival of gratitude and gratefulness and even love and respect toward the spiritual leaders that he's put into our lives. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.